You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Well, hey, we're jumping into a, a new series called People on Purpose. People on Purpose. And it's uh, all about exactly that, being a person of purpose, uh, about um, understanding meaning and what you're doing, uh, taking hold of your mission, the Great Commission, being um, a, an ambassador for Jesus Christ in your little sphere of culture, no matter how big or small it may be. And that's what we're going to talk about is, um, is people on purpose over the next uh, several weeks. And so purpose really is um, the driving force behind your existence. The driving force behind your existence. Really an easy way to think about it is why do you get up in the morning? And really, there, it's a free country. You, can, you could just lay in bed and not get up if you, if you so choose, right? You don't have to get out of bed. But we all do. Most of us, we get out of bed and we go do stuff. And so what is the reason? Why is it that you are getting out of bed um, and, and going and doing stuff? And that is really your purpose, right? And I want you to, your, your purpose, your reason for existence needs to be pretty darn big because life is actually really hard, and if you do not have a big enough purpose to, to sustain you, then when life gets hard, it's not going to be enough. And I'll give you um, uh, an example. So let's say that you, that you would say, my purpose for being, my, the reason behind my existence is to build a good life for my children. That sounds, that's a good thing, right? I mean, it's very noble and sounds, but honestly, that's not big enough. Because just think about it, and this is, be a terrible, like unthinkable thing. But what if something happened to your children? Like Job, all of Job's children died in a terrible accident. Does that mean that instantly in that moment, the reason for Job's existence was no more, that he, there was no reason for him? It wasn't. He, has a, he had a bigger purpose and, and a much less uh, morbid example. One day, if you are being a good parent, um, your, your kids, you are, you are instilling self-reliance in your children. And one day, if you're doing a good job, they're not going to need you anymore in the same way that they did when they were really small, right? So what happens then? If your entire reason for existence is building a, a good life for your children and then they are grown up, they have families of their own, then what does that mean? Does it mean that the entire back half of your life means nothing? There's nothing for you to do. Your mission is complete and you are just got another 30 years of just hanging around until you die? No, that's, that purpose is not big enough. You need to have a purpose big enough to sustain you for your entire life. I've got an um, a, uh, almost four-year-old son. Um, his name is Zeke. He's awesome. He's just the cutest little kid. And if I could, if, if he's not old enough to articulate it yet, obviously, but if I were to somehow get into his little brain and, and understand his purpose right now as a little three and a half year old. What is his reason for getting up? You know, as his parents, obviously, we see outside of him and I, I see into his future because I know what I am believing for him to be and to do in this world and all these things. But, you know, for him and his own little mind, what does he think his, and if, if you could ask him, you know, Zeke, what is your reason for waking up in the morning? It would probably be something about watching Paw Patrol, eating snacks, and playing with his transformer toys. That is, that's it for him. And you know, we, we do, we monitor pretty closely kind of how much TV he watches. So when he gets to watch a show, it is like, oh my gosh, a kind of glory of the Lord has fallen in this place. 
Like that is the, that's his reason, right? Right now, that's, that's it. He just lives to, to play and be a little boy and have fun, right? That's his, his purpose, his reason for existence. Now, what if that never changed, ever? And as a 40-year-old man, his purpose, his, the reason for his existence was to watch TV, eat food, and play. And I would say, sadly, there's actually a lot of grown men that that's their reason for existence, right? Your purpose should evolve. It should get bigger, and it should actually sort of stabilize as you get older into a life-sustaining, big, big purpose. And um, I was listening to uh, a lecture by this guy named um, Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian clinical psychologist. Um, you know, I don't agree with everything he says, so just don't email me. But, um, but he, uh, he's really kind of garnered a lot of popularity lately for, for really boldly standing up for masculinity and manhood and, and all these different things. And um, I was listening to this lecture, and he talked about uh, something that he called Peter Pan Syndrome. So the title of my message is Peter Pan Syndrome. And Peter Pan, you know, was a, a movie a Disney movie animated, right, from 1953, but that's, that was a, a, a pretty gross um, sterilization, if you will, of the original Peter Pan story that was um, written by a guy named J.M. Barry um, in like 1906-ish or something like that. And the story starts with a line that says, all children, this is a narrator speaking, it's a play, and the narrator starts and he says, all children except one grow up. And that's the story of Peter Pan. You see, Peter Pan is a boy who never grows up. And he's, he's kind of magic because he has imagination and all these things. And, but that's really the story of Peter Pan is as a boy who never grows up. And we, especially here in the Western world, especially in America, and I know this, is, this may ruffle some feathers a little bit, we... We love and we celebrate youth and innocence. And we, like we, I think it was John F. Kennedy, right, that said, like, the one thing we all have in common is that we cherish our children's futures. Like, we are obsessed with, with protecting our youth and, and just the, the, the innocence of children. And that's a really great thing. Don't get me wrong. But the best, most effective years of your life are not when you are 13. You know? It's not. You're like going through puberty and your voice is cracking and you're just like growing hair in different places, okay? Like that is not the greatest years of your life. Like we should celebrate equally grown people, adult men and women who go out into the world, push back the things that are dark and do really, really impactful things. So Peter Pan is this boy who never grows up. And if you really think about his, his story, it's actually pretty tragic. You know, he refuses to grow up. He's a boy forever. Um, and he kind of has his own little, little kingdom, if you will. And his subjects are these boys called the Lost Boys. Like, what kind of kingdom is that? He just runs around with this, this brood of, of, of guys that, that also don't ever want to grow up, right? And then he meets uh, Wendy Darling, who by all accounts is a very sensible young lady. He's got a good head on her shoulders. And for a, a season, she goes out with Peter Pan and has all of these adventures and it's exciting and it's thrilling and it's a lot of fun. But then she decides that she wants to make her way back home. And she decides that she's ready to grow up. But Peter sadly 
refuses. And there's actually, in the play, there's a, a scene at the end where Mrs. Darling, Wendy's uh, mother, says, Peter, won't you come inside? And offers to basically adopt him and be a part of the family. And he refuses, says, no, I know that if you catch me, you'll make a man out of me. And Peter Pan's greatest fear was having to accept responsibility and to actually grow up. And so that opening line, all children except one grow up, obviously the except one is Peter Pan. I actually, I actually don't think that's right. I think there's a lot of men and a lot of women um, that have, have never, never grown up. And it's, um, Jordan Peterson said that the truth of the matter is that the meaning that will sustain you through life is to be found in the adoption of responsibility. And the heavier the responsibility you are willing to adopt, the more richly meaningful your life will be. And I want you to hear me, okay? Um, this is not in any way going to be a condemning message, shouting at, at boys to grow up and be men. What my goal is, my heart is, is that at the end of this message, when you walk out those doors, if you're a, a man, that your head's going to be held a little bit higher, that your shoulders are going to be back, knowing that you can do it, that you are equipped to be an overcomer, you are called to be victorious. And if you're a, a woman in here, that you're going to leave with your head held high and your shoulders back a little bit, saying, I am a woman of God, I am called to big things, to do great things, that husbands and wives are going to leave hand in hand knowing that they are good for the calling of God that God has put on their life. So that's what's going to happen today, just prophesying 30 minutes into our future that you guys are good for it. And so Peter Pan syndrome is this idea that, that some people just, just are, will not grow up. And by grow up, I don't mean get older, right? I mean adopting responsibility. That's what being a grown-up is. It means I am accountable for certain things, that if they fail, it's on me because I did not do things the way that they should be done. Being responsible, taking accountability for things is what being a grown-up is. And that's the cure for Peter Pan syndrome is to just shoulder the mantle of responsibility that God has placed on your life to be a man or a woman of God, right? And um, we're gonna look at a man in the Bible. If you wanna go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, that's where we're gonna be. And we're gonna look at a man. He's really um, one of my heroes. I think he's the manliest man in the whole Bible. Um, and uh, his name was Cornelius. And um, I was reading this commentary about, uh, about him before we jump into um, actually reading Acts chapter 10. And this commentary said that he was both a good and a great man. And I thought that was really interesting because there's a lot of people that have done great things. Greatness just means having achieved at a very high level. And there's a lot of great men and women in our world that have done incredible things, composed beautiful pieces of music that have um, had great exploits in business and made tons of money. They're great, but not necessarily good. Then there's a lot of people who are good that live quiet lives, they're good men, good women, uh, you know, righteous and, and, and live blameless to the best of their ability, but they're not great. And so to be great and not good is really dangerous and really scary, but to be good and not great is to just mean that you will not have as big of an impact in your life. And we are all called to be both good and great. And Cornelius was a man who was both good and great. And so if you don't know, he is, um, a, the reason that we should have great respect for Cornelius is because he changed the course of human history. So is there a little quick poll? Is there anybody in here who is of Jewish descent? 
I know there's one, Pastor Stacy. Anybody? Two, three. Anybody else that is of Jewish four, five, six, maybe, right? So that's not very many of us, okay? So Cornelius was the very, very first non-Jewish convert to Christianity. God used Cornelius to be the very first to open up the good news, the story of Jesus Christ, the saving power of God to the Gentiles. Shifted human history, like incredibly uh, influential guy that God used in a massive way that all of us, except for like six of us, owe a great debt of gratitude to because we're not Jewish and thankfully we can be Christians, right? Thank you, Cornelius, for what you have done, you good and faithful servant, okay? So Cornelius did massive things with his life. And the reason he did, and we're gonna see in just a minute, is because he chose to take responsibility, to be a grown-up, to have meaning, to have purpose, okay? So we're gonna read um, Acts chapter 10, starting in verse one. Should be on the, uh, the screen behind me. There was a certain man, verse one, in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Verse two, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of the Lord coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. When he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Verse eight, so when he had explained all these things, to them, he sent them to Joppa. So the Bible gives us this recipe for what it looks like to be a person of purpose. And especially, I wanna talk um, specifically for a couple minutes to, to the men. And so if you're a, a lady in here, don't tune me out because you're probably married to a man, most of you, um, and others that aren't are probably hoping to, to meet a man one day. And so it would be good for you to understand this recipe and how you can encourage and pray for your man. But I wanna talk for a couple minutes just to the, to the fellows. And so we have this recipe that says in verse two that he was a devout man. And then it gives these three qualities about Cornelius that we're gonna discuss, that he feared God with all of his household, that he gave alms generously to the poor, and he was a man who prayed always. That is the recipe for what it looks like to be a, a person on purpose, a man on purpose, a grown-up who has taken responsibility. So that first point, point one, he feared God with all of his household. So he didn't just take spiritual responsibility for himself. It doesn't just say that he feared God. It says that he feared God with all of his household. And what's interesting about that is it wasn't just his wife and his kids. We learn um, in verse, uh, I think it was verse eight, um, that says that he sent these, uh, these two uh, servants from his home and a devout soldier um, from all of those that served him in his household. He had a big, massive workforce that worked for him, that served him. And he said, the Bible says that he feared God with all of his household. That means that even the men and women that worked for him feared God because of his leadership, because of the man that he was. Um, a long time ago, long, 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 long time ago, before I met Katie, I uh, dated this, this girl and um, was uh, obsessed with her. We were, in my mind, in my own weird um, 
boyish way. I was in love with her. I wanted to spend the rest of my, my life with her. And, and we both um, loved God kind of in our own really weird dysfunctional way um, at the time and, and wanted to kind of to, to do, but just didn't have any, didn't have the skills or the tools to really, had so much brokenness in my own heart that had really no shot at being a, a good, decent man to this young lady. And um, I remember kind of in the middle of our relationship, you know, me thinking like, I'm going to marry this girl. We're going to spend the rest of our lives together. She, she sat me down and, and just kind of expressed some concerns about my ability to be this spiritual leader that she wanted and needed for her, you know, to feel secure kind of moving forward with our relationship. And I remember being um, so crushed because I knew that I wasn't. And I knew really that I had no at the time, in, in, in kind of the midst of my own brokenness, really no tools or skills. I, I had so much healing that needed to take place. And so it became very, it was so discouraging. And, and to me, this idea of like, you know, what women think of as a spiritual leader, I just, I just totally bucked at that and, was, and just was like, that is an unattainable unicorn thing that no man can ever live up to, least of all me. And I became super embittered, um, really at anything that sniffed or smelled like mainstream Christianity. And so um, I would look at, at guys that kind of maybe, you know, fit that role and just like, oh, you poser, you loser, and just would scoff at them. And I just, I swung so far this way. And, you know, I still loved God, um, but just was so hurt by that, by my own inadequacy to be this, this leader that I just like, just would, would scoff and make fun of anybody that was actually like trying to do it, right? Then I met this girl named Katie. Katie Ward at the time. And um, I remember some things started to change for me. And the best way I know how to describe it is I had this job in college. Um, it was actually really a great job for being in college. And we did super, super, super high-end catering. And I was like on the wait staff. And so we'd always dress up in tuxedos. And it would be like the most high society things you could ever imagine. I mean, like just very, very wealthy people. We have waited on presidents and all kinds. It was really cool. And we used to do this thing um, that was called being on the wall. And you would hold this tray that had two handles like this. And it had all these champagne flutes that were filled to the top. And when party goers were coming into the party, you're just kind of standing there with this big wall of wait staff. And they would, you know, all the rich people would come up and, oh, thank you. Actually, they wouldn't acknowledge us at all. They're just. <laughs> now, as you can imagine maybe, like it actually gets surprisingly really hard, really fast to be having to stay perfectly still, holding this tray of full champagne flutes. And inevitably you kind of, after about 10 minutes, you're kind of like, start to shake a little bit, a little bit of sweat starts accumulating on the brow. And I remember at one event in particular, this lady came up to me and she was super mean, but she looked at me in the eye and she said, on your tray, and I don't even remember the brand. It was some super special whatever brand of crystal. And she said, there's about $300,000 in crystal stemware on your tray. Don't drop it. Wow. Oh, yeah, great. That was helpful. Thank you. And so there I am just like, okay. And that's actually the exact same feeling that I felt when I met Katie. That I was holding something so precious and felt like the weight of that responsibility. 
So one of the keys to being a grown-up, to taking responsibility, is realizing the value of what you have been entrusted with. When you men realize that your wife, your children are precious to the Lord, that, that, that he has entrusted you with a, his precious daughter, or you have little ones that God has said, I am giving you one of my most prized possessions, which are children, for you to steward that understanding, that value, and maybe you're in here and you're not married and, and don't have kids yet or whatever, but what about your gifts that God has bestowed in you, your intelligence, your ability to work? Those are gifts that are precious that I'm sure other people would kill to have. There's probably a little boy in some village in India that is like, if I could just have your opportunity, your ability, your, like I would kill for that. And so we have been entrusted with things that we need to take responsibility of. And one of the keys to taking responsibility is understanding the value of what you have been entrusted with. And so Cornelius took responsibility over himself. It says that he feared the Lord himself and all of his household. So I wanna ask you a question. Who has license in your world to tell you things about yourself that you won't wanna hear? Have you given anybody permission to say these kinds of things to you that you may not want to hear. We all have blind spots. We all do. And if you have not given license to somebody, a friend, a close friend that you trust, that you've asked the question, hey, do you see anything in me, like maybe with the way that I talk to my wife or with the way that I parent my kids or some of the decisions we make with our finances or, you know, what we're doing at church? Do you see, is there anything off to you? I just, have you done that? Have you given anybody that that license to do that. That's part of taking responsibility for yourself. And as Katie and I started dating and I was carrying this precious daughter of his and feeling like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I am not equipped for this. I am so screwed up. I can't do this. I took responsibility for myself. And I knew that there was so much, I had a really um, pretty wacky childhood. My, uh, my dad died of a drug overdose when, when I was 19. And um, the few years leading up to that were, were pretty gnarly. And it did a lot of things in, in my psyche that, um, that caused me to completely um, be unable to be emotionally intimate on really um, any level. And, and I knew that there was things in me that much like Wendy Darling in, in Peter Pan, there's a scene in the play where she's flying away to Never Never Land for the first time with, with Peter. And even then, if you read the original uh, play, she's, she's skeptical. And even from the very beginning, she's like, yeah, this adventure sounds great, but I just don't know if Peter is, is really going to take care of me, right? And I knew in my heart that Katie would not stand for being with a boy. She wanted to be with a man. And I was, at the time, a pretty pretty long ways away from that. And so I took responsibility for myself. Actually, and this was back when we were just getting going. I mean, I was broke, um, but I paid money to go see a licensed biblical therapist, a counselor, somebody that I could, and it was like an investment. I actually put my money where my mouth was and uh, as, a, as, a, as a line in the sand, hey God, I'm so serious about my healing, about, about getting some things figured out so that I can be a good steward of what you've entrusted me with, that I went to counseling. I've done it several times in my life. I'm one of the biggest believers in going to uh, a, a biblically minded therapist that can help you talk through things, understand things, um, hear things that, that you've said your whole life that maybe you don't even understand that you, that you say. And so I took responsibility for myself. I 
invited somebody in to say, what do you see in me that needs to be fixed, okay? Took responsibility uh, for, for yourself, take responsibility over yourself and to take responsibility over your family. One of the famous verses from Joshua is Joshua takes a stand and says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Katie and I have made, it doesn't, we don't care like if our kids want to go to church. (laughs) You're a kid. You want to eat cake for breakfast. I'm not going to let you do what you want to do. That's a terrible idea. I'm going to tell you what you're going to do because I'm going to look after you. I trust me a lot more than I trust my three-year-old son. And so going to church and, you know, we still have young kids and I don't want to be like, you know, arrogant, like I've got it all figured out. We're really new at parenting. There's a lot of you in here that have a lot more parenting experience than me. And I know there's a million things that I said before I had kids that I would never do that I've done, okay? So self-admitted there. But I know that Katie and I have committed that as a family, our family will go to church. Our family will be at church. And as long as my kids are living under my roof and aren't paying rent, aren't paying their own way, then part of that is you come to church with us, okay? Because we, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when we, when we parent, when, you know, our kids are very young, they're learning things, right? And my son is at this, he's at the Y age. I mean, come on, everybody that has a toddler knows that one. Every, and it's like, it's exhausting sometimes. But anyway, he, you know, everything has to have some deep, profound explanation. And I swore that I would never say because I told you so. And guess what? I say it sometimes. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I do. But it's why everything. Why this? And so when we correct his behavior for something, he wants to know why. Why can't I do that to my sister? And so Katie and I will get down, we'll get down on a knee, we'll look him in the face, and we say things like, because that's not the way that Jaegers behave. That's not the way that Jaegers do it in the Jaeger family. That's not the way that a Jaeger woman does things. Jaeger women are strong. Jaeger boys do this. And so Katie and I are taking responsibility, not just for ourselves, but even our legacy. That we, 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 want, we see, and for every single one of us, we should view ourselves as patriarchs and matriarchs that are gonna be the first of a long line of godly men and women that, that do incredible things, that as the Bible says, the righteous will do great exploits. We, will, we take responsibility, not just for ourselves, but even the future generations after us. So point one, Cornelius feared God with all of his household. Secondly, he gave alms generously to the poor. And, you know, we talk a lot about uh, money at this, this church um, because you spend most of your life making it. A lot of you, most of you, spend more time with your coworkers than you do your children. Working and earning money, that's a massive part of our life. And I think it would be pretty foolish to just say, well, you know, I don't want don't bring that into church. You know, this is, that's, that's there, this is here. Don't, that would be a really silly thing. And Cornelius, it says he gave alms generously to the poor. He gave money. And it's not just his time, his energy. He gave money to the poor. I want you to listen to this parable. This is from Jesus, okay? This isn't some obscure Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy. This is Jesus himself telling the story. It's in Luke chapter 12. Should be on the screen behind me, starting in verse 16. 
Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will put down, uh, I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Verse 21, so, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And I, I love this story because God calls this man a fool. And what was foolish about what he did? It, there's no reason that you should infer from this that he was a fool because he had money. And actually, in Proverbs and a lot of other places in, in the Bible, it talks about storing up grain in your barns and, and being a, a good steward of what you have financially. So it's not that. There's no way that Jesus would be, that God would say of him, you fool for having money. And you can tell from the, the, the clause after that in verse 20, it says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So God's anger was not that he had money, not even really that he, what he did with his money necessarily. What angered God was the benefit that other people didn't receive because of his blessing. And it's really interesting because the parable starts, the ground, verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. It was the ground that was, that produced all the crop. It wasn't like, and the man had this incredible idea for a new widget that he patented and invented and then sold it for three easy payments of 1999. It says that the ground yielded plentifully. His blessing came from God, not because of his own doing, his own hard work, his own ingenuity. The blessing came from the Lord. And listen to how selfish this man is. Just listen to this. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, wow. wow. He calls them my crops, my goods, when it was actually the ground that yielded plentifully. And what angered God so much, he said, you fool, is because nobody else but him would benefit from his wealth. That's what made God so mad. You fool. Who else is going to benefit from all this that you've accumulated? That's what made him foolish. Now listen, I know that um, for a lot of people with different church backgrounds, this is, can be, it can stir up some things, and I, we can talk about it later if you'd like. It's pretty hard to defend what the Bible says about the abundant nature of God. It's just, I don't really believe that you can be intellectually honest with yourself, read the Bible and say that it is not God's nature to be abundant, to be excessive. Psalm 23, one of the most famous Psalms ever written. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. It says later that he anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows, it overflows. It says in Psalms that his paths drip with abundance. Every, not every, but a lot of the miracles that Jesus did were marked by excessive abundance. He said, cast your net over the right side of the boat for a catch. And there was so many fish that the net ripped and it all, and like a lot of the fish left, it was an abundance, an excess, more than they could handle. 
When he fed the 5,000, it says that everybody ate their fill and there was 12 baskets of leftovers. Our God is an abundant God. I do not believe you can be intellectually honest, read the Bible and argue any other position. God is the God of excess, of more than enough. What makes him angry is when your wealth, your blessing terminates on you. When it terminates on you, we are meant to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. And when you read, you just see all of the I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. That's what angered the Lord in this parable. And look, we're all on a journey, okay? And, and maybe this isn't your season to like give $150,000 to vision builders or whatever. And that's fine. I know when, when Katie and I, this is actually, we didn't talk about this, it's kind of embarrassing. Do you remember... Do you remember when uh, we, we were young, new to this church, and just were like amped on like being generous, and we'd never heard about that, and like that we could actually, you know, like give to people and really have an impact in the world with our finances, and we made like, I was a graduate student, like grading papers, making $500 a month. Katie was working like part-time for a small startup company, okay? It was not exactly kind of dripping with abundance in, in, at the moment, okay? And it was a season of our life, but I remember we were so amped on being generous that we made a commitment that we would always tip 100% of whatever the bill was. Remember that? And it was so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. Like, that was not cool and generous. It was just bad stewardship, okay? But we, we kind of made this commitment we were going to do it. And so, gosh, when we would go out with our friends, and it would be like 30 bucks, and we are like, Oh gosh, okay, 60 bucks. <laughs> and then when we'd like have a $60 meal, it was like, wow, this was a really bad choice. Anyway, and so I just want you to know that there's seasons in life for generosity, okay? And I don't want you to feel like, all right, babe, we're, let's put $100,000 on the credit card so we can be big givers. That's not giving, okay? <laughs> that's not being generous, that's being silly. Don't do that. So there's seasons for everything. So I want you to know wherever you're at, but here's what I will tell you. If you look at generosity as a future virtue, you won't be. If you say, hey, once we get to this, or once I get that promotion in August, or once I whatever, then we'll give, you won't. You won't. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. And so again, I don't wanna, don't make you, like, it is about your heart. Cornelius took responsibility for himself and his household, but then he also took responsibility for his community and he gave alms generously to the poor. So let's be men and women that give generously with our finances in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? Come on. And lastly, the Bible says that Cornelius was a man who prayed always. He prayed all the time. And um, when, when Katie and I uh, took over this campus, one of the things that God spoke to us so clearly about was the importance of raising up men and women that know how to pray, that are committed to being men and women of prayer. And if you read a little bit further in that story um, in Acts chapter 10, which we're gonna do starting in, in verse 30, um, there's, there's just an interesting little, um, little thing that we can, we can pull from this. And it says in verse 30, so, so, so let me set this up actually. So this is... Um, uh, Cornelius has this visitation from this angel that tells him, go find this guy, Simon Peter, okay? So he's like, I don't know who that is, but this guy showed up in dazzling white. I'm probably gonna listen to him. And so he goes and, and finds Simon Peter. At the same time, Simon Peter actually has a vision of 
some weird stuff with like some bacon and a blanket. You can read it for yourself. It's pretty weird, but it's what happened. And, um, and so Peter's like, okay, great. I need to go find this Cornelius guy. And so they, this is after they've actually met. They found each other. And this is Cornelius addressing Simon Peter in verse 30. So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, 31, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon Tanner, blah, 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 blah. So Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. And I was kind of thinking about that. Like what prayer was heard? What did the angel mean your prayer was heard? Like what was, what were, what was Cornelius actually praying for? Because I can guarantee you he wasn't praying for that. He wasn't praying for, it wasn't like he was like, all right, God, I really would like for you to send me an angel in white clothes that tells me to go meet some guy who's going to tell me something. He would have had no, that wouldn't even have been on his radar to even be a thing, right? And I know he wasn't just praying in tongues because he hadn't even received the Holy Spirit yet. So he was praying in whatever language, like Italian or, or Latin, or I'm not even sure. I don't, who knows what he was praying about? Maybe for his household, maybe for his kids, maybe for his soldiers that he was in charge of. I have no idea, but I know that he wasn't praying for that weird visitation. There's no way he would have had it in his brain to pray for that specifically. And so what I want you to, to hear is God invited Cornelius to be on an incredible adventure, not because he specifically asked for that adventure, but because he was in general a man of prayer. And I can tell you, never, ever in my entire life, ever did I pray, God, I pray that you'd make me a pastor. Never. But God has invited me to be on this incredible journey that is filled with seeing men and women's lives transformed, with leading some of the greatest people in all of San Diego, not because I prayed for that specifically, but because I'm a man of prayer. Just like Cornelius, God has invited me, invited my wife, invited so many of you to be a part of more than you ever could have asked or imagined because of your commitment to prayer. And listen to me, prayer is a skill. You've heard me say it a hundred times before. It's not a spiritual gift. It's not some people can pray and some people can't. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray which means you can be not good at it and get better at it, right? The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Prayer is something we learn how to do. We get better at it when we practice. A great place to practice is at men's prayer, if you're a guy, at 5.30 in the morning, every Tuesday morning, we meet right out there in the foyer. If you're a lady, cherished ladies meet Thursday morning, 7 and 9 a.m. right here in this auditorium. It is the best place to go and take dominion over your family, over yourself, over your finances, over your health, over the lives of your children. It's where we raise up men and women who know how to pray. And I understand that some of you straight up just can't be there. I get that. I know that there's a lot of, of, of guys that work and have jobs that, that you just physically can't be there. And that's, that's fine. It's not about physically being at men's prayer necessarily. It's about being a man of prayer being someone who prays. There was a season uh, in my life where I couldn't do Tuesday mornings. And so um, uh, Pastor Stephen Callaluy and I, he would come over to my house uh, two days a week at 5.30 in the morning. And the first 20 minutes of our day, we would pray over our day, over our wives, over our children, over our futures, over the things we had going on in business, over this church, over this city. 
we were committed to being men of prayer. So if you can be there on Tuesdays as a man, I would highly recommend it. There's actually a man uh, over there right now in uh, one of our DNA courses uh, named Robert. And I, uh, he just started coming to prayer, pretty new to our church. And I, I asked him, how's it going, man? What do you think? And he said, this is exactly what I have needed. There was another young man. I haven't had a chance to even talk to him yet. I just kind of heard through the grapevine that he works really late, works till, you know, one in the morning and then showed up at 5.30 a.m. prayer for the first time, dog tired because he knew that something needed to shift in his life. And that very day, his landlord, I don't remember the whole situation, but opened up this, this new area of the house that they could live in and had this great increase in their living situation. Also got a raise at work that very day, like showed up to prayer dog tired, but said, I'm going to, I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to contend for my future. And God moved on his behalf. Cornelius was a man committed to prayer. So lastly, um, as we kind of start uh, coming to a, a close here again, Cornelius, what it, what it looks like to be a, a grown up, to take responsibility. It looks like, um, fearing God with your entire household, being someone who lives generously, what God has blessed him with and being a person of prayer. And really the great tragedy of um, Peter Pan, if you read the, uh, the story, he, um, it's, it's really sad. Peter forgets all these things. And at the very end of the story, Wendy says, uh, he comes back and meets up with Wendy. She's older now and has a daughter of her own. And, and, and there he, she's kind of reminiscing and says, man, do you remember old Captain Hook? And he's like, who? And she's like, you know, Captain Hook, the, with the hook, the guy. And he's like, no. And then so she says, well, what about Tinkerbell? How's Tinkerbell doing? And Peter says, who's Tinkerbell? He's a child. He has, it, it, the second that a character in his life doesn't serve him, they have no, no reason for being there. He's a child. He doesn't take responsibility for other people. The second that their memory no longer serves him, they're, they're out. And we actually learn about Peter Pan that, you know, it's a fantasy book, so it's a little weird, but this is what's in the story. The reason that Peter Pan um, lives in Neverland and, and looks after the Lost Boys is because he says that when he was very, very young, and he actually hates, he, he asked Wendy to come be their mother, to mother him and the Lost Boys, and, and, and he actually hates Mrs. Darling, Wendy's mother. He hates all, all mothers. And it says that the reason is when he was little, he flew out of his window and was, was playing with all the, the fairies and the animals and all these things. And when he returned, the windows were barred up and he saw his mom holding another baby. And so really the reason that Peter Pan never grew up is because he was rejected and abandoned when he was young. And I know that for, and here, here's what I wanna leave us with. We're gonna pray here in just a minute. If you're in here and you're a, a, a guy, um, don't you dare feel condemned because you're lacking in, in, in any one of these areas. Being grown up is hard. It's hard. And I don't want to make light of it. There's a lot of challenges that we face as men to overcome some of these things in our past. And I don't want you to feel guilty for one second. And here in a minute, I'm going to pray over you men. And we're going to just impart the supernatural power of God to instill you with courage, to infuse you with courage so that you walk out of here with your head held high, your shoulders back saying, I can do this. I can lead my family. We will fear God. Me and my house, we will serve the Lord in Jesus' name. And lastly, if you're a, a lady in here, and maybe you're with, um, with your husband, um, it, will, it will not serve you at all to be stewing about all the ways that he's not living up to these things. I know there's been times in our marriage um, where I was sucking really bad. 
And Katie would point out how bad I was sucking. And to be honest with you, it wasn't helpful at all. I knew I was sucking. So just this person that I cared about deeply pointing out that I was sucking didn't help, okay? And so if you're in here and you're a wife, here's the crazy thing that I've learned about, um, about women in marriage is God will show you something about your husband oftentimes long before he shows your husband. And if you just say, oh, God told me this great thing about you, you need to step up here and you need to do better here. And if you could just change this, then things would shift. It won't stick. He won't change until he has a personal revelation himself. There are so many times where I would be like, Katie, God has spoke the most crazy thing to me. Oh my gosh, I couldn't believe I didn't see this before. And I know that she was like, yeah. But she was so gracious and just celebrated with me, didn't say I told you so. And so if you're a, a, a woman in here who's, who's sitting next to your man, or maybe your man is not even here, I want you to pray for him, to encourage him. What men need is a cheerleader. And cheerleaders are on the side of the field cheering on their team, whether they're winning or losing. They cheer all the time, no matter what, with all just all their pom-poms and all the short skirts. Come on, somebody. And so I want to pray right now. If you're a man, would you do me a favor and just stand up right now? And I want to pray for all of you. Um, and in particular, and I'm going to ask you to be brave. I'm not going to have everybody close their eyes because being a man means taking responsibility and saying, hey, I haven't done some things right. If you know that this message was for you, that God spoke to you about some things that you need to shift in your own world, here in a second, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm gonna ask you to, here in a second, here in a second. Wow, I appreciate the, uh, the ambition. Come on, give me, you can put them down for one minute. And I want you to know that, um, that this, I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done. We were at a, a pastor's gathering not too long ago. Pastor Leanne spoke a message that, that kind of touched on some of these things. And I realized that in one particular area, I've really failed my family. And I've really made my wife carry this uh, burden um, that she's not meant to carry. And it's, it's been, uh, I think, a very hard thing for her. And I repented of that. And Pastor Leanne asked the same question for, um, for men to raise their hand if they, um, if they needed to. And I was like, first hand that shot up. I was like, yes. So I want you to know that, um, that, this, that this is a symbol of strength, of you saying that I haven't done it right, but I'm gonna fix it in Jesus' name by leveraging the supernatural power of God. You're not gonna do it in your own strength. You're not just gonna pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do better. You're gonna trust in God. You're gonna fear God with all your household. You're gonna uh, look at your finances and figure out how you, how you can be blessed to be a blessing. You're gonna be a man who's committed to prayer in Jesus' name. So if you know that word is for you, I want you to just raise your hand and I'm gonna pray for you right now. God, I thank you for these incredible men, God, these uh, warriors that you have called, God, to do war in the spirit to take ground, God, to be victorious, God, to be Joshua's who go into uncharted territory, do things that have never been done before. Right now, God, we impart supernatural courage on these men in Jesus' mighty name, God. We declare that they will do great exploits, that they will see incredible things, God. We pray for an impartation of courage, God, an impartation of strength, of resilience, God, that they will trust in you, God, even though things may look bleak, maybe things at work are not going well, maybe things financially are 
are not going well. Maybe things at home are not going well, God, but they will be men of faith, men of courage, who will believe that the God of the universe is a healer, that he is a provider, that he is our banner, that he is our strength. God, we worship you. We thank you for every man here today. We bless them in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, go ahead. Everybody else, jump to your feet. All you ladies, jump up. I've gone a couple minutes over. I'm going to pray really quickly over all of us ladies. I said all of us ladies like I'm a lady. I didn't mean that. All of you ladies, not us ladies, all of you ladies, and then we're going to dismiss the service. So if you're um, married in here, would you just put your hand around your spouse, hold their hand, whatever, um, and uh, and let's just uh, believe God for um, just incredible um, shifting and moving in our city, in our church, in our lives. God, I thank you for every family here today. God, I thank you for every single person here today, God, that, um, that is called in this season to do great things, to prepare themselves uh, to, to be the man or woman that they need to be, to be married, that it wouldn't be for them about you know, uh, God, why haven't you brought this person to me? Why hasn't this happened for me? But they would take responsibility for themselves and they would be um, a a great single person doing incredible things for God. And God, I thank you for every uh, married couple here, every family here, God, that every woman would be an encourager to their man, that every man would treat his wife with great preciousness, that they would view their bride as the precious daughter of God that they are, God. And we declare restoration in marriages right now in Jesus' name, God, that where there has been bitterness, there will be forgiveness. Where there has been strife, there will be a returning of joy, of fun, of laughter, of intimacy, that you're going to laugh at the goodness of God in your marriage, that you are gonna do great things together, that you will be unified as a family, that you will see and want the same things in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for every family represented here today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. Come on, give God a great round of applause. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.